Hello and welcome to The Why Podcast, a new series from Think at London Business School in which faculty talk about their research and what it means for you and your business. I'm your host, Cathy Brewis, and for this episode, my guest is Laura Georgia, who teaches negotiations and bargaining on our MBA programme. She's a research associate of organisational behaviour at LBS and an assistant professor of behavioural science at LSE. She published a paper called You Don't Need to Answer Right Away. Receivers overestimate how quickly senders expect responses to non-urgent work emails, which she wrote with Vanessa Bones, Associate Professor of Organisational Behaviour and Psychology at Cornell University, in the journal Organisational Behaviour and Human Decision Processes, about what happens when people send emails at funny times of the day or night, and how their recipients interpret receiving them. There's a clue to this in the Wall Street Journal piece which they wrote about this, The Curse of Out of Hours Email. Laura, hi, thanks for coming onto the show. I'm really fascinated by email etiquette and the concept of working hours. And it strikes me that this really ties into the blurring of work and life that was already happening, but then has really been accelerated or exacerbated by the pandemic. Hi, Kerry. A pleasure to be here. Yes, um, the increasing lack of boundaries between our professional and personal life is one of the many reasons it seemed like a good idea to investigate this email urgency bias phenomenon. And the project started when I was a postdoc at Cornell, and as a junior scholar, I was often concerned about what others think of me when I don't respond right away to emails, no matter if those emails were sent outside typical work hours. And I was concerned about what my temporal footprint might unintentionally signal to others. So one day, Vanessa and I got to thinking about these concerns and whether they might be part of a larger phenomenon and the current culture of always feeling or needing to be plugged in, like you must get back to people right away, even if you're home with your family. And as with every new research project, we started looking at what do we know from prior work on email communication? Well, as it turns out, email communication is one of the primary and preferred means of communication at work. And its popularity is largely attributed to its advantages, such as asynchrony and flexibility, that allow for rapid and widespread information sharing. However, these very advantages have transformed email into a unique job demand and a symbol of stress because it facilitates any time sharing or requesting of input. So, for example, an average employee shares over 100 emails each day. And in our own analysis of a large representative sample of U.S. employees, we found that more than half of their emails were sent or received outside normative work hours. What's more, during the initial months of the COVID-19 pandemic, where boundaries between work and home were completely blurred, email traffic outside standard work hours increased by 8.3% as compared to before COVID-19. Can you just explain for listeners what you mean by asynchrony? So asynchrony means that we can decide when to respond or when to send emails So it's not about, we have a conversation right now, I ask something, you answer live. It's someone requesting something and the other person deciding when to respond whenever it's appropriate for them. So it's not like a Teams meeting or a chat or Slack, which are more synchronous, so they happen at the same time. Email communication is meant to give employees some control over when and how they work. So email is something where you receive an email and you can choose when you reply to it. So in theory, that sounds quite good because you get to decide when you do it. Right. So in in theory, it was meant to give us more control over our work hours and give us more control and flexibility over when and how we work. 
And yet there's increasing research showing that people don't do that. There's a phenomenon called the autonomy paradox, showing how people decide to use email technology so they have more control over their work hours, but because they have access all the time to their email, end up working all the time. So this is what prior research has shown, and it has linked this email communication to a lot of negative consequences such as interrupted attention because we're constantly looking at our emails. So of course that reduces productivity and also lower work-life balance and even lower life satisfaction because we are constantly connected to our work even when we're not expected to be working. But the intriguing part where Vanessa and I started to really dig into and realize there was not much research was that prior research hasn't really considered that email is a two-way communication street meaning that there are two roles in email communication, that of a sender and that of a receiver, and that our perspective and expectations of response speed might differ depending on which lens we take on when we're looking at our email. So that's exactly what we set out to explore, whether our intuition was right, meaning whether receivers might overestimate sender's response speed expectations. And we specifically focus on non-urgent off-hour emails because we... we reason that those type of emails are the ones that shouldn't stress people out and that we would have the same level of expectations and understanding as a receiver and as a sender. There's small things that shouldn't really influence us, but that's also the reason why we looked at it. Mm -hmm. So what's going on when when I get an email at 10 o'clock at night from my boss? (laughs) There's probably a lot of things happening, but one of the things that might be happening is, first of all, If there are no norms in the organization that you're working in to say that you're supposed to work outside work hours, then that can trigger a red flag because if it wasn't urgent, they wouldn't email outside work hours. So you immediately assume that because it's outside typical work hours, it might be something urgent. So you might be feeling that you have to respond right away. Mm -hmm. At least that, that is one of the things that we were looking at and exploring in our research. It's interesting because, especially in this time when people are working from home more because of COVID, you know, some people just prefer to work at night and they're kind of working around other responsibilities and that kind of thing. So it's interesting that there's still this assumption that it must be urgent because somebody's emailing you, you know, at a funny time. I do want to emphasize that we're not saying stop emailing when it works for you. If there's anything we learned in the past two years is that people have different patterns of working. And there are certain hours that work for them and others that don't. So our working patterns don't match. And that's okay. If you want to email on an evening or during the weekend, we're not saying do not do it. Our main message is make sure that you communicate the level of urgency to the other person because the chances are the other person will not understand when it's urgent or when it's not if you're not explicitly saying that. And we focus on non-urgency because it's the thing that we think Others will just understand without us explicitly saying it. But if you look at Outlook, I mean, I'm just taking one example. There's a button, a red button to put it as high urgency. And I think people, when it's urgent, you write with capital letters and you make sure the other person understands that it's urgent. But when it comes to non-urgent things, we just assume it's understood and we don't make it explicit. So part of our research also says we need to make it explicit because the other person will not really get that it's not urgent. So what was your methodology? How did you go about investigating this phenomenon? We examined this question in a total of eight studies with over 4,000 working adults. 
And across all studies, we had participants take the perspective of either a sender or a receiver of a non-urgent work email sent outside work hours, be it in the evening, during the weekend, or even keeping it broad as in outside your typical work hours in the organization. And we asked senders to indicate how quickly they expected a response. And similarly, we asked receivers to indicate how quickly they thought senders expected a response from them. And across all studies, we again and again found that receivers overestimated the need for a fast response, something that we call, as, as we've talked about, the email urgency bias. I know that this always comes back and there's a question of, you know, but how big is that difference? So we calculated this, and to put this in perspective, we found that on average, receivers in our studies assumed they needed to respond 36% faster to non-urgent off-hour emails than senders expected. Is that because they feel that they have to reply to look like they're working really hard? <laughs> it could be part of the phenomenon, this idea of the ideal worker, where in today's digital economy, knowledge economy, where it's really hard to objectively measure productivity, we tend to rely on this old and strange ways of measure productivity and signal that we are dedicated and committed by signaling that we're always on, that we're always connected. And so it is part of the phenomenon that people feel that if they're not responding, that they might unintentionally signal that they're not the ideal worker. Although we tend to overestimate how harshly others will judge us for our presumed mistakes. You talked a little bit earlier about how this feeling of needing to reply quickly is sort of detrimental to well-being. And I think a couple of your studies looked at that impact. Can you tell me about those? Yes, I, I think that's a really important point of our research because, of course, with every question and every phenomenon that we investigate, the bigger question is, so what, right? So what if receivers overestimate? It's not such a big deal. But as it turns out, it is because this phenomenon matters as it impacts our collective well-being. So two of our studies examined this impact directly. So for example, in one study with employees working in a public organization in Spain, we measured the email urgency bias as well as employees' experience of stress and their subjective well-being, which captures a person's overall evaluation of how satisfied they are with their life and how often they experience positive and negative affect. And we found that the email urgency bias undermined employees' subjective well-being via greater experience stress. So namely, to the extent that receivers report greater response with expectations than senders, they also reported experiencing greater stress, which in turn undermined their subjective well-being. Now, interestingly, we also found similar negative effects on other important outcomes, such as work-life balance, job burnout, job satisfaction, and task performance, suggesting that the email urgency bias is detrimental not just to our well-being, but also to work outcomes that employers care about. But there's a twist here, because in two other studies, we also found that receivers reported feeling more stressed by off-hour emails than senders expected them to feel, which means that when we are in the sender role, when we send those emails outside work hours, we are unlikely to fully appreciate the stress experienced by the recipients of their email at the moment of sending it. Right. So this is a phenomenon you call the egocentric bias. So this is the fact that if I'm sending you an email very late at night, I might just be getting it done or for some reason, you know, telling you something when it occurs to me, unknowingly heaping lots of more stress onto you than I'm aware of. 
Yes, indeed. The egocentrism bias is something that creates this difference in stress, but also the difference in perceived expectations of a response speed. So in the paper, we argue that this communication breakdown between senders and receivers when it comes to perceptions of response speed expectations is driven by egocentrism bias. And broadly speaking, this bias explains that people are anchored on their own perspective in the moment. They also mistakenly assume that others will know how they feel and what their intentions are. And not only that, but we're also incredibly confident in our ability to judge others' intentions. So put it in the context of our study, as senders, we assume our expectations around response speed when it comes to non-urgent of our emails go without saying. And as a result, we just fail to explicitly communicate that to our recipients. But at the same time, as a recipient, we assume that senders expect a quick response to their non-urgent of our emails and just fail to get that there is, in fact, no urgent need to respond. Coming back to this idea of an ideal worker norm, employees in today's digital economy are socialized to think of response speed as a way to signal commitment and dedication for their work. But as I just mentioned, there's some research showing that we tend to believe others will judge us more harshly than they actually do for our presumed failures. So when we receive a work email, we might perceive the negative consequences of not responding right away as being larger than they actually are. And as a result, just feel compelled to respond right away. So some of it's around maybe just the recipient feeling a little bit insecure about generally how their work's going, you know, how they're being perceived, if they're doing enough, all that kind of thing in this kind of quite uncertain work environment that we're all in and uncertain generally, I should say. Absolutely. And also in light of the fact that we can't really measure performance that well, Knowledge work is really complex and hard to pinpoint objectively, but small differences in performance means large differences in pay. Mm -hmm. So we've come to be in this environment where we're still relying on old measures of performance, even though they don't signal quality of work. And so, you know, how can we show that we're a dedicated and hardworking employee? By showing that we're always on our email or we're always at work hence the FaceTime and long hours culture that we're in today. So what can I do? So if, you know, I'm wide awake at 3am and I think I just got to email Laura about this fantastic podcast we're doing, but I'm not wanting to add stress to you, what, what can I do to reduce pressure on you at the other end? This is my favourite part of our paper, <laughs> actually, um, because a lot of research that looks at ways to reduce bias, it does so from the perspective of the bias holder. So in our case, it would be the receiver. But in our paper, we tested the effectiveness of a small adjustment on the sender's side. So on your side, thinking at night to email me, in the form of a small note added in the email that made the implicit expectations explicit. So namely, just adding this is not an urgent matter, so you can get to it whenever you can, could help align your expectations of response speed to my expectations of response speed. So basically, the small note help to eliminate the email urgency bias. It's interesting that this added note was not new information since even without the note, participants read in the study materials that the email was not urgent. Yet adding the explicit note that made senders implicit expectations explicit really helped receivers to get on the same page with the senders and really get that it wasn't an urgent matter. I liked some of the suggested footers that you list in, in one of the papers. So I think there was one which was 
please know that I respect boundaries around personal time. I mean, that's quite a big thing to say in itself, isn't it? And then it's like, if you receive an email from me during your personal time, please protect your time and wait to respond until you're working. It's, and then it's then it said, it's important that we all prioritise joy over email wherever possible. I mean, if I got an email like that, I'd be quite bowled over, I expect. <laughs> that was our favourite. So that was Vanessa's and I favourite email footer that we've seen. So across the past two years, I kept seeing this email footers coming up and we said we need to put it in the paper. And indeed, you know, that is another way of signaling our response with expectations and making clear when our work hours are and that we don't expect others to mimic those work hours. But I do have a bit of a reservation with those email footers because just like a painting on the wall, the painting starts to become the wall the more you look at it. I think the effectiveness of those email footers starts to decrease over time. And so it's important to use them because I think it communicates clear norms around one's working hours. But it's important to also maybe add what we find in terms of signaling whether something is urgent or not. So kind of combining the two. Yeah. And I guess ideally it would be backed up by your behavior when you're there in the office of people as well, because it's like the equivalent of standing behind somebody waiting for them to finish their task, isn't it? That sounds like a really good nudge for all of us and not something that we're necessarily used to doing. And especially if, as you say, people end up doing better work anyway. So it's not just happier, but also perhaps more productive or more, you know, producing better work. You mentioned delayed response. What's that? So a lot of the feedback that we got on our paper was people saying, I'm using the delay response feature and that should solve the problem. And while I think that's an amazing feature to have to begin with, it still looks at addressing the bias from the sender's perspective. It's me in the sender perspective that I think I'm going to help the receiver by scheduling my email to arrive during work hours. But I think, and I don't have the data yet to back this up, but I do think it can actually add more stress to the receivers because if you know your senders are engaging in this delay feature, then you're looking ahead at your Monday and you're expecting a full inbox. So you might be anticipating how much email you're going to have to go through on a Monday morning and you're still left with having to sort through them in terms of is this urgent or not? Is this important or not? So I think the feature is great, but adding on top of it, communicating the urgency of that email can help the receivers feel a little bit better in terms of going through their inbox on a Monday morning, for instance. And one of my favorite ways that I've, I've seen one of my colleagues use it, I haven't seen many more, and I would love to do some research on it, but my favorite is setting and communicating email hours, just like we do with office hours. So basically indicating when you check your email, which can be beneficial for both senders and receivers. So you can say, I'm only checking my email between one and two every day and have that in your email footer or something like that. And I think on the one hand, email hours can help senders know that the reason you haven't responded is not because you don't care or you don't find their request important, but it's just because you haven't checked your email yet. And at the same time, this email hours communication could also help receivers who know that even if they might email at specific times, they might not get a reply right away if it's sent outside those email hours, right? So it kind of creates a little bit of breathing space for people to get their work done versus constantly trying to empty their inbox. 
Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because there is a lot of kind of second guessing otherwise around why hasn't that person responded? Exactly. And I think we do get into that second guessing a lot, especially when maybe we're juniors or just joining an organization. It's really easy to get into this trickle down effect of thinking they haven't responded is because of me, not because they maybe didn't look at their email or they're, you know, sent outside work hours or whatever. So you're absolutely right. I think kind of clear communication is really important. And I keep coming back to this idea of how I think leaders in particular nowadays, they're thinking of solving issues in the future of work with just adding technology and it will solve by itself. But I think technology in and of itself is is not going to solve the issues. We also need to create some norms around it and having to talk about the structures around it. Are we going to use email for urgent issues? Are we going to use Slack for urgent issues? Just having those conversations where we also set some norms that allow people to engage with technology in the way that is meant to be engaged with. So helping us, not harming us. Yeah, that's a really good point. So if you were going to give some sort of tips for our listeners, what would your top tips be? Maybe a couple for sort of individuals as an ordinary worker dealing with this stuff, what can we do? And then also, if you are a leader of an organisation, what can you do at a sort of organisational level to make this stuff better for your people? So on an individual level, it's something that I myself started doing just by virtue of having done this research, I think, is if those norms are not there, I start to implement them myself. So I've started to add in the subject line, this is not urgent, especially if I send those requests outside work hours. And if someone doesn't set a deadline or doesn't communicate clear urgency, I go back to them and ask, by when do you need it so that I can you know, organize my own workload? And also how urgent it is, because that just helps me to make sure that I am reliable to the other person to get back to them when they need it. And also I can organize my workload in a way that makes sense for me and for them. I think a lot of people might be reluctant to set deadlines because they don't want to impose their own deadlines on others. But I think that clarity of knowing when something is required and how urgent it is, it really actually helps all of us to maintain our boundaries and get the work done. So I really started to do that and I would encourage people to do that too. Yeah, I can see that a deadline like that is a good idea because I can imagine for some people the idea of saying, you know, this is not urgent, then you think, okay, so now you're going to go right to the bottom of that person's to-do list and they might never get around to replying, you know. I actually have an inbox. That, that is a worry I think a lot of people might have with placing or, or labeling things as not urgent. Maybe that is one of the reasons we don't engage in this behavior of, of labeling something as not urgent, because we worry that the other person won't get to it if we signal that it's not urgent. So I, I have actually a folder in my email now where I label things as non-urgent and make sure that I go through them at least once a week, for instance. And I, I don't think that people won't respond to it. I don't think that labeling something as not urgent will make the other person not respond because we need to prioritize things today. There's so many things we can actually achieve. And if we label everything as urgent, then nothing is urgent anymore. And so we need to force ourselves to really prioritize things and have an honest conversation about what is urgent and what is not and not be afraid of communicating that because otherwise we might end up not achieving the things that we want to achieve or the things that are really important. So I think that's from an individual perspective. And then I think you asked from an organization perspective or from a leader perspective, you know, what can we do? And I want to come back to this idea of temporal norms and temporal structures in organizations. 
because we found some indicative evidence that in organizations that have clear norms of not working outside work hours, of when employees are expected to work, in those types of organizations, if you break the norm, that is when it's most likely to be negatively affecting employees. Because imagine this, you're in an organization, you know that the norm is we don't work outside work hours, and then someone emails you outside work hours. It kind of signals that it's outside the norms, so it must be urgent. So if you have those norms, is great, but make sure that if you break the norms, communicate clearly why you are breaking it. It might just be because that's when you can do it. It might be because it's urgent. And if it's urgent, why don't we pick up the phone? And I see that myself. If I pick up the phone, I stop and think before I do that on a weekend. It's much easier to send an email because, you know, I'm thinking the other person will decide if it's urgent or not or whether they want to respond. But I know now from my research that that's a wrong way of thinking. I, I still need to communicate. Do I expect a response and is it urgent? So aside from the temporal norms and kind of communicating why we break them, I think organizations can start with having an honest conversation also around how do we use digital technology, especially in a hybrid work? And are we all on, on the same page when it comes to using email for non-urgent things, using phone for urgent things, just, just really having those honest conversations around expectations and the norms of communication. I really like the idea of it making sort of communication more, more mindful generally and the fact that you're actually then considering, you know, how, how urgent is this? You know, we all have this enormous volume of emails and, and often enormous volume of work as well. And actually, this is something that could help people prioritise and, and think about the demands they're making on people around them as well can only be a good thing. Absolutely. We do look at this idea of prioritizing and how we have a tendency to address urgent things because it's easier to cross them off our to-do list because they're usually easier tasks. It's like a request of when do you need that or can you tell me the answer to this question? And so we have this bias of getting those things done in the hopes that we'll have more time later to get the more important things that require more time. One reason that I, I like this email urgency bias research as well and the fact that we need to start being more mindful about our communication and our requests is that if we're not responding right away to the other person, so putting myself in the receiver's role right now and being more mindful of responding right away, instead of doing that, kind of taking some steps back and, and waiting a little bit before responding, I feel like we can help the other person find the answer for themselves, which builds self-efficacy and allows them to learn as opposed to just shooting an email to get the answer, they actually go and search for it. Because again, if it's urgent, if it's something that is really, really important, they might find another way to communicate it or reach you as opposed to via email. So yeah, it's just another aspect around being mindful with communication. I think that that is really important. And I will say this, I am a bit of an inbox zero person, so I like to have a, <laughs> an empty inbox. And so... I don't know how many people might feel this, but I enjoy not receiving an email right away after I've sent it, right? I enjoy that, that breathing space. So even from a receiver's perspective, you can think of maybe you don't have to respond right away because it's pro-social not to respond right away because you're allowing the other person to get other things off their plate. Okay. Since we've been talking about the sort of always-on work culture, it's probably a time to... Uh 
mindfully let you go and get on with the rest of your day and switch off. But thanks so much again for coming and talking to us. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how your research develops and what you look into next. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. The Why podcast is brought to you by the editorial team at Think London Business School. Follow us here on your favourite channel for more episodes on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. And for more faculty research insights, go to london.edu forward slash think. You can also sign up there for our free regular email newsletter to get tips, tools and news of our alumni direct to your inbox. If you'd like to find out more about Laura and her work, check out the faculty profile section on london.edu. And finally, don't forget to leave us a review or rating, which helps new listeners find us. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Thank you.